Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. And absolutely excited today to have Bill Christie, CEO, founder of Clash Endurance. And obviously, we've got his second-hand woman, right-hand woman, Blair um, LaHaye. You've been part of this regime and the triathlon endurance sport, you and your husband, Philip, for more than... I can ever remember. So I think having you both on this call means a lot today. I know it's taken a bit to ha- make it happen because we all be busy. We're crazy running around. So Bill and Blair, thanks so much for coming on. Love being here. Excited Always. to be here. Thanks for having us, Nick. Absolutely. Today, today's episode is obviously going to be a lot about Clash, but I think also Bill and Blair, the kind of pulse of the industry some of the major events that have occurred this year to kind of stimulate some thoughts and maybe some redirection of where we are as triathletes and how event and sports management agencies are functioning within this space, because we've seen a lot of weird stuff this year, to be honest, with rules, enforcement, new bits of tech coming in and out. Um, You guys have done some different things that we're going to get into for developing your brand um, and what makes you different. But first and foremost, like, What's been going on? What have you been doing? I think that we are fortunate. Um, We are having our best registration year ever in Daytona. We're expecting about 4,000 athletes this year. We're way ahead of registrations where we were last year. And we're doing some different things. Um, How many events? I'm sorry, go ahead. How many events would that 4,000 kind of population funnel into? Which races? what, What are you putting on? 11. So, you know, you think about a race weekend where people are going and racing one race. Uh, We're putting on 11. So that's juniors triathlon. That's short course triathlon. That's USA uh, triathlon, long course championships. That's uh, a kids run. That is a duathlon that is also a United States triathlons championship, a short course duathlon. So it's, it's significant. Wow. It's significant. So within all those events, um, I think we just need to give a round of applause to your staff first and foremost, because that sounds hectic. My God, all those directors of each thing, you got different courses on one amazing speedway. I've raced in Daytona enough to know, the logistics, they seem a little bit easy, but man, I cannot imagine the headache that all of these routes and people are going to cause. Um, how's that been going? You know, Andre Opar spends a lot of time worrying about timing. And, you know, we think about transition swim, bike, run. He thinks about transition one event to the next. Um, Miami is, is 10 events, right? And the cycling component, adding the relay uh, for cycling, as well as test track is enormous because of the amount of track time it takes. And where are the crossover points? Where is the team moving? When is the next step uh, for the next stage set up? Um, Where where do we move all the transition bags after one event to the next? Where do we rack the bikes for the setup in the pits? And Redline's kind of fun. It's basically uh, I, I'd say a NASCAR event, but it's really more of a 24-hour endurance race format. We call it IMSA, International Motor Speedway Association. And IMSA 
is, as you know, the Rolex uh, 24 hour race is three drivers in one car. Uh, so everybody gets their own bike, but you're on a team of up to eight people. And the first one to, uh, the first one to, I think almost 20 laps wins, um, in that environment, it's hectic. It's crazy. We're actually going to do a show around that event is one of the two shows we're going to do. So you're right. 11 events sucks up every single minute of track time we have even to the point where we know we're gonna to have to put on you know, partial lighting, uh, which is not an inexpensive thing to do. So yeah. we're excited about it. Um, Clash is a brand we're adding and scaling uh, at venue locations uh, to the point where we're gonna try and max out each venue to do every single thing we can. The kids events that we have coming on are really special. Miami is, has been such a motivation for us in that area. So. Yeah, you know, we're different. We're a family event. We want you to have good food. We want a beer garden. We want all that stuff. Camping's at an all-time high this year. You've been around that. You know how much fun that is. Yeah. So, yeah, clashes, clashes here and, and busy, and we're going to do everything we can to give what the age groupers want, regardless of what the sport is. That's yeah. the reason we added cycling. There was a huge, huge demand in Miami because there's no place to cycle in Miami that's safe anymore. So that's, that's how we're charging. So a, a lot of amazing points from Clash as an organization. And I guess in, in terms of what we're all trying to do here, it's still a, probably a lot of growing pains, a lot of repivoting after you've pivoted, to figure out what the industry does need to keep athletes engaged, coming back. Um, and then not racing other events at the same time frame. It, it has to be incredibly challenging in this climate to maintain the attention span of an endurance athlete with this and that. But I think having been to most all the clash events and being part of the Watkins Glen event and seeing what the speedway opportunity brings to the table, I've always said this is one of the most cookie cutter opportunities for a race organization to do something extremely well parking, lodging, safety, multifaceted event, which is what you all are focused on, is you're trying to make sure you're giving everybody something. The only question I do have is, do you think, you know, it's doing a lot of things, you know, well or decent versus a couple things exceptional? Is there a, a breaking point to where you're going to have to say, we've got 11 events, this event has 100 people, this one has 3,000 people, maybe is it an opportunity to, to trim some of those? Um, or will you always look to maybe have those even lower participated opportunities? Um, and, and then I'll talk about some broadcast if you can give me some, some, some insight on those questions. Absolutely. Let's use the kids triathlon as a perfect event. We don't make any money on that event. We believe it is us giving back to the community, right? So we want something for everybody. We think race experience is everything. I looked at the food truck list uh, about 10 minutes ago for Daytona and they added, uh, they added a taco truck, which I'm personally very excited about. But it's the little things that matter. To your question from a business standpoint, it's easily said. There is a point where we can only put on so many events during one weekend. If you think about 11 events, most races you go to is a sprint or it's a sprint and a, 
an Olympic distance or it's a sprint and a duathlon on a short course distance. So yeah, there's definitely a breaking point. The quality of the event, the race experience, as long as we have people walking up to every one of us post event and saying, wow, how do we do this more? This has been an amazing experience. You know, I had this experience at another race and, you know, they had to call 911 to get me uh, an ambulance. You have your own emergency room on site inside the stadium. And those are the things that matter to people. As long as we continue to hear and see the social media posts, we know we're doing the right things. So it's all about the athlete experience. And yeah, we do do some races that we do because our hearts tell us to do it. It's the right thing to do that we lose money on. And the kids race clearly is number one. Sucks up a lot of resources with regard to lifeguards, with regard to uh, personnel, um, on and on and on. But it's the right thing to do. Yeah, the right thing to do with you all, I mean, I've built a bunch of bikes for the NASCAR Foundation. Um, you all, <laughs> every event, you do something to give back. And part of my passion is as a team owner and getting more involved in development with some of the USAT Project Podium athletes is to try to figure out how we can keep these young athletes going with the limited access and availability and with the, you know, some athletes are just now saying, I've been doing triathlon since I was five. And that is, that's crazy. Um, so it's like soccer. Yeah. I mean, it has to start now, in my opinion, if we want to have a chance to make some impact on the 2028 Olympics. And that's kind of our focus too. I um, think that the folks at USA triathlon, I have to give credit. They're in the process of a big push for collegiate varsity sports for women triathlon. Mm -hmm. And that is one very large undertaking and they're behind it hundred percent. That is one of the things that we can do um, besides short course for kids. How do we keep the kids engaged? Not let the kids get burned out. And you know, my daughter played softball for years and league age seven, she was very talented. Uh, got to her senior year of high school was being recruited and burned out. Yeah. So how do we keep that from happening? How do we keep it fun? Um, Jared Schumacher, and I'm going to brag about Jared for a minute, uh, has uh, agreed to help the University of Central Florida club triathlon team and club swim team and running team come together to do some relays. And hopefully they'll do their first group of relays at uh, Clash Endurance Daytona this year. So how do we make it fun so people come in without having to worry about or think about training for a year. And I think that's the biggest change we're seeing right now is the time commitment to train. Yes, um, absolutely. Um, it comes down to athletes getting burned out on the sport in general due to a nine month build period where life happens, finances, finances have been strained. The economy this year has been one of the hardest for our sport post COVID after the massive boom, we're seeing a lot of hands being pulled out of the cookie jar and a lot of people just trying to put money back towards groceries and savings and living. So I can't blame any athlete for wanting to focus on the core essentials, but I think we all still want to identify as triathletes. The, the, the business of triathlon is evolving with the circumstances. Clash has been 
awesome for that, especially for the pro athlete personalities, giving so much opportunity for professional athletes. Blair, I wanted to ask you, you know, in terms of broadcast engagement, you've had a lot of back and forth with professionals over the years. Has that demographic become more professional? Has has Clash been well received? And you know, what does it mean for you all to have us, you know, participate in your events? Yeah, I think, you know, you're right. And I've been fortunate to work with so many of you and the pros over, you know, decades, as much as I hate to admit that number out loud. And, um, and the face of, of the pro athletes, just like the landscape, I think has changed some, right? We're seeing so many other, um, you know, younger athletes and younger pros come into the mix. Um, some wanting to do a variety of distances, some staying with um, distances they know, which I think keeps keeps it interesting. Um, and for us at Clash, broadcast, digital, and that social landscape with working alongside so many of you and the pros, I think has been really exciting and really fun for us. It's allowed us to look and hear from you guys as far as what you want, right? What helps you guys flourish, thrive, and be successful in a sport that continues to ebb and flow and change on the heels of COVID? And what will, um, you know, keep this, keep you guys healthy, if you will, in the sport and continue allowing it to flourish? So, so really, you know, from the broadcast standpoint, that's been fun to hear your stories, to share more of that in a really unique way, maybe that hasn't been done before. And we have really, really enjoyed doing that and want to do more of it, frankly. Um, you know, I think social media has allowed us the opportunity to do, to do that. And I think it's important for you guys from a pro standpoint to be out there putting your face, your name, your story, and, and what you're doing day in and day out, um, whether it be training or in a recovery mode, right? Because the reality is that is part of what you do and that's part of your lives. So, so sharing those stories and, and then watching how the broadcast landscape changes, how we change with it mm -hmm. and how we take that feedback from you guys and continue to keep it fresh and make it make it real and authentic. And broadcast, I guess, has been a, a hard industry for the triathlon world to break into. And you all have been, in my opinion, doing everything you can to get some friggin' traction in that environment. And I think the bottom line is, and this is kind of two part, you know, who who wants to really commit that much time to watch a nine hour event sometimes um, with the full distance events. And, you know, is that distance even as relative as it used to be in the past years? It feels like with a, a mixed championship series and the big MDOT brand, they seem like they may have diluted a little bit of their validity as the ultimate distance, in my opinion, as a pro athlete with over you know, over, I guess, saturating their market as much as they have to make sure the championship is almost a participation event in many ways and kind of pissed off the community. So I, I feel a tenderness in my heart about as the industry on the big, the big scale pivoted to a more short course, 
not even short course, but not as long of a course um, demographic where people want that. And um, so, yeah, what, what do you think about the the one forty point six distances versus the races you're doing? And and also, I do want to know broadcast versus your current standpoint. You know, what are the lessons learned from broadcast? Why don't we start on distance first? Because as you know, the Daytona distance and the Miami distance, we believe are our distances. Yeah. And one of the things we heard from age groupers in Miami this last year was we want to do the Miami distance. So 70.3 miles uh, is going to go away in Miami. And we will instead use the Daytona distance, approximately uh, 50 miles a little bit short of that as we did in Daytona for the pros and as we did in Miami for the pros. So what we're hearing is shorter distance, not too short, longer than Olympic. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to be able to train hard. We want to be able to perform, but that's the preference that we're seeing, right? Give us that distance. We're going to do that. We're going to deliver that. Um, with regard to the longer distances, I think there's always going to be a place for that. It's, it's been around a very, very long time. The challenge is the time commitment, uh, in my view, uh, to be at that distance competitively uh, multiple times a year. And so I, I know that if I do uh, another long distance in, in, in my lifetime, and I think I've promised my bride one, uh, I, I probably will stay out of divorce court. <laughs> but I do believe that the age groupers are demanding shorter races. Um, they want something long enough to feel like they've put in the time, put in the energy, but not so long that it is uh, their lifestyle. And if you look at how people exercise, they're putting in an hour a day of exercise and it just happens to be swim, bike, run. They've fallen into a great distance, right? So I, I think that's the distance question. Yeah. Uh, the I second think. question was broadcast. And if, if I didn't, Nick, answer all of that, please, let's let's go back to it. But the broadcast question is, we've been doing broadcast since 2020. We've never believed that true entertainment was going to be uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people watching nine hours of television. Uh, we have always believed in the cut down model. We've always taken our shows down to about an hour. Uh, NBC's obviously been very good to us. Fox Sports has been very good to us. And the ratings that we have had have been significant. I mean, truly significant. And as we looked at the broadcast component, we upped the game every broadcast we've done. The last show we did was televised, Blair, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Fox Sports nine times. Right. Um, but each show itself was new eyeballs. And when you go back from there to Miami, uh, the year before, Miami was totally live coverage, and it was hundreds of thousands of eyeballs. And then you go back to Daytona last year and Daytona the year before, all the way back to 2020, we've tried to up the game with graphics packages to highlight the pros even more. If you remember this last year in Daytona, we, we did the baseball card slide. So yeah. as you pass somebody, you're, you'd change on the pole, but then your picture would slide out and it would be a baseball card of your information, who you are and what you did. Um, as that happened, one of the things that we learned was that the age groupers really wanted more background. They didn't really want to watch uh, 
a sports car race as much as they wanted who is Nick Chase? What is he about? Um, what did he endure? And so you saw us produce pain and love a competitive mindset. And I'd, I'd be interested on your view on that, but what we know is that people want more of that where race coverage is a part of the show, but it's much more about the anxiety of getting to the start line, uh, the anxiety of what was transition, the story being told while it's in the process. Uh, so I'd be interested in your view on that, and then we can we can talk a little bit about broadcast in general and how that landscape's changed. I think for my you know reference points that I have to keep me engaged in anything I've ever watched is you've got to have a hero. And you've got to have somebody who you can relate to as the hero who's either had a tough go or a fight comeback, or they're doing something nobody else is. I think that's where our sport is evolving into having heroes. And that's what you were capturing, you know, via Jason West and, and everything he's gone through and trying to do in that scape. I think these athletes who we're reaching out to the hundreds of thousands of triathletes in the world they're watching this stuff when they're on their trainer on YouTube. And I think that's why the live broadcast aspect is great to have, um, but it probably doesn't pay the bills because everybody's busy. It's tough to even get athletes to come to a training camp without eight months notice. I mean, getting the attention span and all the moving pieces together for somebody to watch a live broadcast does take a huge championship event that's been around for years and years and years and years and now that that's been disrupted even it does seem to throw off the whole ecosystem so i think even from what we've seen from other entities the live broadcast is fun at the time it does become a bit cumbersome unless you spend more time developing a hero like that's what we want to see we want to see the failure the, the triumph the age group athlete demographic is is a, is a pro triathlete we just do things all the time and they can do it half the time or a quarter of the time and they can't recover. That's the main difference. And, and then genetics, obviously, but I'd say that's the way to do it for sure. I think a live broadcast during the race is should be in it. And the other problem too, is like, where do you stream it now? You do it outside, you go to Peacock, you go to Facebook, you do YouTube and those things. It's tough to figure out how to get it out there. And do you boost your email list by having people sign up? And then you may lose people because if they put in their email, they're going to get turned off and not want to give out their email. So I think we're up against a big challenge, but I think the subscription model, um, you know, that can't really be what everybody looks for in this sport to make money because it should be free. It should be entertaining. And I think that everything will come on the back half of that. But in terms of my opinion, that's kind of what it is. I think the live broadcast was like, how cool is that to be part of? Like, and if that doesn't come back, I won't be upset. But I think having the coverage and the storytelling that you've all developed was absolutely pivotal and it keeps people coming back for more. Um, and it's probably, I can't imagine how expensive a stinking graphic pack was <laughs> just to get that done. Like the hundreds of thousands of dollars you've put into just any one small part of a major broadcast bill, I can't imagine how much you've tried to, build and start and your creator so this is have to be a labor of love on, on a lot of parts of it well for both the people that you're that you're talking to today i the, the the broadcast component of this is magical unfortunately it's not financially viable we did it and continue to do it because we want to tell the stories 
but a TV deal in this world in a very niche sport is not viable. And the reason for that is people want, and this is the number one thing you hear uh, from the people in the broadcast business, people want to be able to say, hey, it's Monday night, I'm going to watch Monday night football at 7 p.m. It's Sunday afternoon. Uh, it's Saturday afternoon, I'm going to watch the University of Central Florida Knights play um, Tulane. And you can count on it, and you're there. And the thing that we don't have as a sport is a feeder system. Even United States Tennis Association, you know, you've got coming into the U.S. Open, you've got the, uh, you've got Miami, you've got Cincinnati, you've got D.C. So you've got these major tournaments that are all feeding to a championship, and we don't have that. Mm -hmm. So people can't tune in expecting to see triathlon. We're that niche, unfortunately. And the TV deals that are out there, most people don't know, you pay to be on TV. So you pay the production cost of an event, and then you pay to be on TV hourly. And those numbers are not small. It's a quarter million dollars. Depending on prime time, it can be more, it could be a little bit less. We're very fortunate because of our relationships. Uh, NBC and Fox have been gracious to us uh, because of the product that we put out and the quality of what's being done. And we pay for that on the production side, right? So we don't pay those fees, but still we're a niche sport. And until people can say, I want to watch triathlon Monday night at 7 p.m., people are not going to be paid to represent a quality production of triathlon. Uh, and that's the sad part. The positive part is if we can get the endemics, if we can get the non-endemics, if we can get the right sponsors into the business, we can then produce a product where sponsorship is covering the cost. Now, that puts us in a tough place. The broadcast business right now is the most segmented it's ever been. Uh, arguably, the Big 12 deal uh, was the last classic, traditional broadcast uh, OTT digital deal that has been done. Um, past that, deals are getting fragmented. Is there a linear part of it? Is it a big part of it? How does Amazon play? How does Apple play? How does NBC play? There's a lot of different facets to it that are making this business very different today than it was seven months ago. So that's where us watching this says, okay, we now know that we might have to have our own channel. We might have to have a triathlon channel. Who's going to step up and say, there, this is the triathlon channel, right? Yeah. Or this is the cycling and triathlon channel. Flow Sports has pretty much every channel there is except for triathlon. And if that's the case, then we have to say, what are the production costs to put that on? And production costs are not inexpensive. It's huge. Absolutely tremendous in magnitude. Um, and I'll give you a, a couple of examples and we'll, we'll come back. We'll, we're going to circle back. Might be a nice time to circle back to race production because that'll give you some good comps as to what it takes to put on a race. And I saw a race recently on a live stream that the athletes were walking down grass and the entry was pointed out and depicted by wooden stakes with uh, orange tape wrapped around each of the stakes. And that was your entry point into the water. 
So that's one end of the spectrum that you can go race. The other end of the spectrum is come to Clash Endurance and race a Mercedes uh, and, and know that we've got a care center inside and know that we've got EMT on the course and know that we've got aid stations. And if we have to put up another aid station, it'll be done in minutes mm -hmm. uh, because of the temperature. If the temperature. You actually, you did that during the pro race and that was epic. We did. We did. That was a hot day, wasn't it? It was 130 degrees on the, on the tarmac, I think. Yeah, yeah it was nice. Right? And that we shot it at. Yeah. So, you know, you look at, you look at just a couple of examples of race production, track rental, you know, we don't even want to talk about track rental. No. And that's, that's something we're fortunate enough to do. And as I said, people don't understand that tracks are busy 364 days a year. They're rented. So to jam us into a track rental is a pretty big deal. But when you look at the cost example, we had cones for safety on the roads. Cones are $65,000 just for cones. I'm going to buy a cone company, I think. Uh, yeah, I, Nick, a lot of us have said that in our day. <laughs> We're doing something really, really wrong. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the jet sleds that we use for the water. You know, you're $7,500 into two sleds. Yeah. Uh, for a day. And you're, you know, you're doing those multiple days. So when you look at the economics of putting on a race, think about traffic control, think about safety, think about, we hire EMT trucks to be out on the course, right? So we don't wait for 911. We've got EMTs staged out on the course. So we take a lot of time and attention to be as safe as we can in an industry that things are going to happen. The question is, how do we mitigate as much of the risk as we can? So from a production standpoint on race, that ought to give you a flavor of what it takes to put on a race, because now you've got to talk about the personnel that have to come in, right? The equipment rentals that have to come in, the track rentals that have to be done. Timing by itself, just to time a race, is not an inexpensive proposition. So these are all factors that when you stack them all together, it doesn't figure out long uh, or short course, either one, the economics as to why they're priced the way they are. And yeah, it, it, it might be a little more money uh, than other races, but there's reasons for it. And yeah. I think people get to make those choices. And you go back to the broadcast piece from a production there, it, the talent alone to put on TV, you know, you're talking about $30,000. So, yeah. and that's, you not, know, that's not cheap. No, it's not. Uh, so, yeah. It, well, and to, to build your point, what I always have thought and found so interesting about the topic of race production is that, you know, so many, we all know how affluent and educated, you know, the triathlete market is, right? No yeah. matter as it continues to grow, et cetera, based on age. Um, but it's a well-educated market. But what I think from an education standpoint is most interesting is no matter if you're a seasoned or a beginner athlete, most of us from doing an event don't necessarily, when we're signing up for a race or we're experimenting with a new event, no one takes the time really to crunch those numbers, right? Or do that math or say, you know, I wonder how they decided how many aid stations to put out on the course or how many fluids were decided upon to get out there and how the cups got there or who laid out those cones the night before, or I wonder how many city permits were impacted 
when you're signing up to do an event, right? Whether you're like going out there with a bunch of girlfriends to do it, you're out there with your best buddies from the cycling group and you guys have been riding together for years. Um, you know, a lot of those elements aren't thought through when you're going to do the race, right? Really all you're concerned about is, okay, are we all signed up? Are we all, how are we all getting there? What's our lodging? Um, you know, and are we going to finish? Where are we going to go eat? And who's, and, and yeah. who's going to win, right? <laughs> so um, I, I just always think it's such an interesting angle to look at because, you know, I just don't think athletes, you know, from the age group or the pro side necessarily um, think through all those dynamics I and whether it's now, at a I've, venue. I'm, I'm more aware of it now than ever having participated and seen the behind the scenes. And even with some of the super league stuff I've been able to be part of, like it's, yeah. it's well over a million dollars per single event, even not including road closures and all that stuff for like a contained event. So I can't imagine a race, like a, race entries have to probably cover half of maybe the cost and expense. And then the rest is hopefully sponsors. And the other bit is just beg borrowing and stealing, whatever you can. <laughs> Nick, your numbers are pretty, you're pretty, you're pretty dead on, pretty nah. dead on uh, with the, with a split of, of sponsorship versus race registration. Yeah. Um, you know, Blair brings up a good point. I, I'll just touch on one story. I walked into a room with uh, Andre and you know philip and they were they were talking about the number of cities and municipalities that were going to be impacted by our race and we had the lo two different local police forces the sheriff there for the county and the state patrol so we had to we had to work through the mot to get all of that stuff done to minimize the number of crossroads intersections shutting down traffic uh, but yeah, it's, it's to Blair's point. And, you know, I, I've thought about it and I don't want to go on the hook here, but I tend to do this. So Blair's going to shoot me later. Yes. We have, we've actually <laughs> thought about, we've actually thought about a, a docu-series, one of our next upcoming shows about what does it take to put on a race Yeah, and, you know, do it front to back from the so, second that we, so real well, we quick, take have you seen the the last 48? I think it's a it's a series or something on Netflix. And it's basically they take major events like a huge concert or a football or the Super Bowl, and they document the exact proceedings that everybody has to go through. I think that's that would be stellar if you guys could do that. We we think I it's can. something that, we think it's a story that needs to be told, Nick. Yeah, we do. I do too. I mean, you all have paved the way in a lot of aspects for the for the sport especially during covid when nothing was happening you stepped up and you've always stepped up as an organization to put safety athlete welfare and professional athletes on the forefront and creating events um that are you know we'll, i want to talk about the red line um a little red line relay a little bit more since i heard about that but first and foremost i do have to ask this year 2023 there's not going to be and this breaks all of our hearts a pro athlete race for Daytona. And, you know, I understand there's going to be a lot of reasons, but can you tell me some of them as to why that is not moving forward this year? Simple. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources to get it done. When we took on USA triathlon long course, uh, we also took on coaching certification. We also took on uh, red line relay. 
because age groupers were asking for a cycling event. And then we took on test track. And in doing so, there's only so many hours in a day. Mm -hmm. What were we willing to give up? And the only part of that that I can say is with everything we had going on, something had to give. And the pro race production is a huge undertaking of both resources, time, personnel. The build out starts on a Tuesday, to give you an example, uh, for that race. So I'm not going to be... Um, I'm not going to be in a box that says we're never going to do it again because I know that we will. We've got some things going on in Miami that are exciting that we're hoping to announce very soon. And there's just not enough hours in the day. And that's a hard thing to swallow right now, uh, especially with everything that's going on. But we figured in a year where there are a large number of high purse uh, races going on, that while Daytona was probably going to be missed this year, we knew it wasn't going to be missed as much as possibly other years. So we had to make a trade-off. We knew that we had a lot of other things that the pros could go do. And it was tough, but it was the right thing to do for the right reasons. That makes sense. And no hard feelings, obviously, understanding that the pro field and everything that goes into that is a massive expense and oftentimes doesn't provide the return, especially when you've got USAT kicking in and putting on some amazing long course events. Like I, I think the economics makes sense for sure. And will you be back? I, you'll find someone to, to pay that prize purse. I guarantee it. Yeah. We're, it, it, it's it, look, I think at the end of the day, what we want is to have a pro environment that is the top, folks coming out to race. The Miami men's start line <laughs> was incredible. Uh, and it was a slugfest yeah. um, from start to finish. I mean, the, the thought that Jason came out of nowhere at 455s and, uh, you know, Daniel thought he had, he was already in first place with Sam and they, they didn't, forgot about Tom Bishop. Um, and it's got to be a commitment from everybody to make sure that that event is successful. So it's a, it's a give and take for everybody. Uh, as I said, I'm not saying we're never gonna do one again. Uh, I'm gonna tell you that Daytona this year was tough and we had to make some hard decisions, but we're really excited about what we're gonna announce in Miami. Yeah. Uh, we are always gonna support the elites and uh, it just didn't work this time. That's fine. I think uh, pulling back in order to re reconvene and move forward stronger is, uh, is always the best way to do it rather than doing a half-ass and at cost of another experience. So no, no hard feelings. We'll just, well, it's not our style either. Right, Nick? Nope. You want quality. And, you know, to be honest, I think we'll just all 120 of us who are going to do collectively clash and in Indian Wells, we'll just all go to Indian Wells and overwhelm the hell out of that race and get no money <laughs> and zero support to Porta potties. There's a lot of great <laughs> other races out there this year. <laughs> I know. I think uh, the calendar is still lucrative no matter what. And you all have to focus on sticking around and generating income and being very tactical so you can put on those events that are going to take the the documentary, you know, that keeps everybody coming back. Um, so, yeah, next Clash um, Daytona is going to have Redline Relay. Now, you, you've talked to me about this a little bit offline, even well before it was going to happen. But... Quickly, give me a summation of why the cyclists want this so bad and obviously what it is. 
there's a huge attraction to cyclists who want to ride on the track. Uh, so that's part one. So that's test track, which two hours open track, minimal cost. We don't care if you're on a beach cruiser. We don't care if you're a cycling team. Come on out. Uh, so that's the first part of why cycling. Daytona Beach, I will tell you, is getting tougher and tougher to cycle in. Uh, we are very fortunate that on the west side of the county, we've got a great trail that connects now all the way down darn near to the New Smyrna Beach Trail. So that's it's about, I'm going to say, give it 20 miles apart, but it starts way north of here. But what people like to cycle is challenging. It's just not safe. Um, cycling in Claremont's gotten challenging. All the places that were traditional cycling places are getting tougher and tougher. Miami, they used to cycle out of South Miami down to the track just over the bridge and back. Well, Miami Homestead is not Homestead anymore. Homestead is South Miami. So you're still in the city and you've been there. You know how it's grown out there because you've seen it over the last couple of years. Yeah, I got to So cyclists are looking for a fun alternative on places to ride on group rides and they're looking for something competitive and they the thought of racing on a racetrack is just uh exciting to them we, we were really surprised at what happened in miami so daytona is going to be the second iteration of of redline relay redline relay is um kind of a nascar event but it's more of the sports car than it is the nascar because you've got multiple drivers in a car and you've got to pull into the pits so it starts off in a peloton and it's a huge peloton behind a pace car. And just like a NASCAR race, the pace car pulls off. Well, there's a lot of strategy because each team has its own pit. Mm. So its pit has bikes that are racked. It's got a warm-up uh, warm uh, cycling portable that you can mount your bike on and get ready to be your, the second cyclist out there. You're allowed to have two of your teammates work together. And it's the first one to 20-ish laps wins. And so you've got multiple teams out there fighting for position, fighting for the Peloton. But some of the fun stuff is the strategy that goes on. You know, where are you in the pits? How did you, how did you trial to get the position you got in the pits? Uh, what's the conversation in the pits about who's going next and why? Uh, to give you an idea, something that was really fun that, that we saw in Miami was the, the group that won, you have to do at least one uh, lap as a cyclist, right? And that's, as you know, on the road course, it's over three miles. So here you are. How's it going to work? The Peloton is in, the pace car pulls off. Who is the first cyclist from your team to stay on the course? And that was strategy, right? Who was going to finish the last lap? That was strategy. Um, it was really well received. The teams had a ball. Um, obviously we gave out great swag for that and cyclists aren't used to swag. So that was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Like a free and car. It's grown. Was there a free Mercedes or something like that? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, Not yet. Although I, I will say, you know, I will say I went to a buddy of mine who owns dealerships and, you know, they do that hole in one, you get the car. Yeah. I said, how do we not have like a fastest lap if you break this lap? Right. Right. And they ensure that. So it's not like it's a big deal. I'm, I'm pushing hard. I, I don't think I can get a Mercedes. I'm like, we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep trying. An e-bike. <laughs> maybe. maybe we can give away some scooters or something. Um, 
So that that concept, I think, is something that can take off anywhere at any of your speedways events, and it could be even versatile for a, a dirt course for gravel. I think the optics on something like that, because triathletes are also cyclists and also swimmers and also runners and also ultra runners can be triathletes. And I think the endurance sport world needs some more fun. And these are the events that make that kind of like anyone who's done countless triathlon for 20 years, there's a point where you're, you're asking for something different and you're like, do I really got to show up this early and have this same protocol? And is it just me and where's my team? So I think we all need to expand and have these fun things to do. And, and it's competitive as hell. I can imagine cyclists with the egos of the century are not wow. back down. Wow. I wish I will tell you that, uh, I will tell you that I was told flat out, Bill, the, these folks are very different. And I was out there and um, I, I think I was in somebody's way because I got an elbow to let me know, hey, I'm here. Yeah. So it was kind of like the NASCAR bump rule, right? The first bump is, hey, I'm here. The second bump is you better pay attention to the third bump is you're in the wall. Yeah. So they're, they're, Rubbin is definitely racing and cycling. It's real. But I think the fun part was, you know, we had, uh, I think we had three pros after the pro race stay and jump on teams on road bikes. You know, obviously it's draft legal and they're working together. Uh, my, my favorite memory was we put Starkey on Alicia Kay's bike and uh, he still crushed everybody oh my uh, to the point where I think he's worrying about his, his new geometry on his TT bike. But yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really fun to watch the people come out of triathlon and then jump into the, uh, to the red line and or the, the test track. So it is fun and we got to keep it fresh. Yeah, I think that's the point. And um, yeah, I, I don't want to take too much more of your time. You've been incredibly gratuitous with everything you've been giving us so far, especially with talking about why pros are not allowed to come to Daytona this year because you don't you don't like my hairstyle. You, you wanted to make <laughs> short. No, I'm just kidding. But, Boy, that got personal in a hurry. Hey, I, I don't, I play for keeps. I, I take those shots. Um, but I think for sure, I wanted to kind of, finalize this uh, with a few questions just to kind of put more of a, get that pulse back that we were looking for, you know, where would you put, you know, not as a clash CEO and founder, but as just a lover of triathlon, where would you two put your money right now? If I said, here's a million bucks, where are you going to put it for your best return and best impact on the sport? Where would you put it? Let's give that one to the one who's got the most history in the sport. Blair? Blair. I had a feeling you were going to defer to me. Um, gosh, that's such a great question. You know, I, not to keep playing on the diversity piece and the diversification, but I think that growth has got to be key. So <clears throat> I think finding that, well, let me just sum it up with a couple things. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting those athletes in the sport at a younger age and keeping them there. Right. And then once they get there, a lot of them are going to be like us and younger in some cases where you've done it for 10 or 20 years. Right. And now it's time to try something new. So is that where you try an adventure race? You go to a speedway. I think that diversification is key. I also think finding the right broadcast space 
so that we can continue showcasing how unique this sport is, is absolutely critical to the longevity of it. Okay. I think social media provides a great venue and a great channel, but I think we need to take it a step beyond that. And if we could find some of the right broadcast partners, you know, that have not maybe experienced us yet. Uh, and I don't mean clash. I mean, as a sport, um, I think that would work wonders for uh, the future of so you, triathlon and endurance. Yeah, so you, Blair, I, I, yeah. I got to I got to go right down that lane because the first was you invest in youth and i think the way we invest in youth is you know something we're trying to do uh here at central florida ucf is to take the swim team and the runners club and the cyclist club and say hey let's go have fun let's do a relay and how do we keep that fresh okay we've done a, a, a triathlon relay let's do an adventure race relay uh, so we've got to invest in our youth to get them engaged and keep them engaged, considering their time span on life is about that big uh, mm -hmm. with regard to their attention. Um, so I think we have to invest in our youth. The Texas Longhorn Channel is probably one of the most successful specific channels there are that's their own. Um, Blair, I'm going to have to go back to you and say, I think you're right. I think we have to make an investment there, even if it's an investment that is made by several companies. And I think now, yeah. if, if at any time in our sport, there was a time for us all to come together, every brand that's out there, now is the time. And I, I believe that this channel, having our own channel is a great way to do it. And it drives production costs down. It allows us all to have a quality product but we have to be able to get in a room and have a hard conversation about let's come together to do this. That is absolutely where I'd love to see our sport transition is to a more unified voice instead of all the broken businesses trying to do the best they can and still kick the can down the road for two more years instead of, all right, let's get all of our rules together. Let's get all of our procedures. Let's set a standard for, for quality of broadcast, I think a channel makes a lot of sense. And I do believe you'd have investors if there was a, a good business strategy and a good eight to 10 year plan that you could put together, Bill, and just present it to all of us. We'll, uh, we'll fundraise for you. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think that has to include non-traditional triathlon. Mm -hmm. I think it's gotta be interesting besides watching people go round and round and watch a leaderboard change. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because right. we have to expand past the million triathletes there are in the world. Right. And a, a million people isn't going to make a channel work. But if we can, expand well, and I think that's that. where you get into endurance, right? It's endurance as a whole. I mean, the reality is there's space for everybody out there, especially when we look at it as a larger bucket of endurance. To me, that doesn't, that doesn't um, offend or water down the triathletes to no. me it it i don't know it gives it a little bit more of a i don't know a special feel yeah it could be the human endurance network no big deal i'll take the naming rights yeah you should <laughs> nick's you like should. you can get me the royalties later guys <laughs> yeah sending over the paperwork so <laughs> yeah i think the overall mission that we're all on and this is fantastic is triathlon forward is the number one thing we're focused on. And I think creating a conversation and having 
you know, networks within our own communities that are going to kind of bring us together. That's kind of what I've been trying to do, at least within my small realm is to bring people together who can make things happen. Um, so thank you very much for being part of this show and getting your word out there and being painstakingly available to me, no matter what, I just ask you whatever you want and, or whatever I want. And sometimes, um, you know, I get criticized by my, our pro athlete team that I do too many lead in questions and I don't ask as much, uh, factual stuff. So I think I did a good, okay job this time. Um, but thanks for being part of this show today for real. Any parting words that I should, uh, kind of make time for. Nick, I'll say this, you get everybody in the room. I'll be there. Let's have the conversation about bringing this unification together. Man, I guess I have to draft a memo. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for having us. Um, we appreciate it, Nick. This is a great, a great, time great conversation. Yeah. Tough conversation. Good conversation. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to right now, we've got to have the bills paid and we got to keep the lights on. And I think that's why sometimes we got to make some tough calls, but you're putting out the highest quality product, Bill and Blair. So thank you so much. Um, we will certainly see you all as RTS and as pro athletes at your future races. And can't wait to hear what's going to happen at Miami. And certainly, if you're going to, like, the best part about racing Daytona in December is taking the family, getting everybody there in a, in a safe environment everybody's taken care of nobody is pushed out and just left by the side of the road for hours without care you've got a hotel network right there you can go rest while your athletes race and then you can go take advantage of all the other amazing things in florida so the de destination event for clash miami early in the season for the great beaches where everybody else is cold and then the opposite season in winter time um when we go back for December races is also the beaches are great. So put that on your radar. You will never, never walk away disappointed. And if you are, I'll pay your race entry. You can guarantee it. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. We appreciate you as always. All Great right. Great to see you.